1: Episode 3, The Federation. If you want to insult somebody, you call them a narc, okay? It's during the 60s. Then Miami Vice came around and everybody wanted to be like Tubbs and, you know, and Crockett and put, wear white suits and hang around in, you know, in a boat and feed an alligator in Miami. And it was like, wow, that's a adventure, that's exciting.
2: It's 1984. Ronald Reagan just won re-election in a landslide. The American economy is growing, and it seems like cocaine is everywhere.
1: It's now the done thing among many rich and otherwise respectable Americans to take and to offer cocaine, the white powder that officially is as illegal as it is expensive. It's good for the creative people. I think it
2: keeps them on their toes and then some. If you believe the news, Pretty much everyone in America
1: is using it.
3: Kids, parents, older people are all turning to cocaine. Marijuana use is
0: actually on the way down.
1: Nine out of ten laboratory rats will use it until dead.
0: I was asked by a group of children what to do if they were offered drugs. And I answered, just say no.
1: Drugs are menacing our society. They're threatening our values and undercutting our institutions. They're killing our children. Reagan decides to double down on the war on drugs. Tonight, I can report to you that we've made much progress. 37 federal agencies are working together in a vigorous national effort. And by next year, our spending for drug law enforcement will have more than tripled from its 1981 levels.
2: But all that coke everyone's supposedly doing? It's mostly coming from Colombia, and no one seems to know how to stop it.
1: Pablo Escobar under indictment in Miami for his role in setting up cocaine bases in Nicaragua, described as Colombia's wealthiest man.
2: Now keep in mind, at this point, Chapo Guzman is still pretty small time. He's working his way up. Hardly anyone outside of Mexico knows who he is, and he's definitely not in the news, at least not yet. Some crazy shit is about to unfold. It's gonna lead to the formation of the Sinaloa cartel and El Chapo's rise to power. In the mid-'80s, Pablo Escobar is the king of the international drug trade.
0: Miami is one of the principal branch offices for what can be called Cocaine, Inc., a huge international business run by a relatively small band of smugglers operating out of Colombia.
2: His Medellin cartel is said to control 80% of the cocaine supply to the United States, earning as much as $4 billion a year.
0: This cocaine cartel, in many ways, is as sophisticated as a Fortune 500 company.
3: And at first, Escobar has a pretty simple system for moving drugs. Planes and boats take off from Colombia, then go to the Florida coast.
0: The drugs often hopscotch through the Caribbean,
3: the Bahamas, often to Bimini by plane or boat. These boats run
2: cocaine from Bimini to Florida at 70 miles an hour. But then the DEA starts cracking down
1: on the Caribbean routes. The South Florida Task Force has, in the opinion of virtually all knowledgeable observers, been highly successful in slowing the illegal flow of drugs into the United States.
2: Which means the Colombians need to find a different way to get their drugs to the U.S. market. And this is where Mexican traffickers like El Chapo come
3: in. Up to this point, the Mexican traffickers have been pretty much moving wheat and heroin, crops grown in Mexico. And they have these smuggling routes along the border in cities like Tijuana and Juarez.
2: But now the Colombian traffickers realize that those Mexican border routes, they'll also work perfectly for moving cocaine. The Colombians start making deals with the Mexicans and sending planes to Mexico loaded with cocaine.
0: In the states that border Mexico, major drug seizures have
3: become increasingly commonplace. In just four months, police in the Los Angeles area have filled up four vaults with cocaine — more than a billion dollars worth. We have here Over 5,000 pounds of cocaine, our vaults are overflowing. Even with increased seizures, agents think they face an unhappy reality, that overall, more drugs are heading
0: north, and most of them are not being stopped.
2: At this point, Chapo's working for another guy from Sinaloa, named Miguel Ángel Félix Gallardo, who's basically the big boss. He has a bunch of corrupt police officials and politicians in his pocket, and he controls many of the smuggling routes to the U.S., People in Sinaloa used to call Felix Gallardo El Padrino,
3: the godfather.
2: But the DEA has an aggressive agent named Kiki Camarena go after El Padrino and the people who work with him. And in 1984, Camarena tips off Mexican authorities to a huge marijuana farm called El Bufalo that belongs to one of El Padrino's partners, a guy named Rafael Caro Quintero.
1: Agent Camarena was working undercover when he exposed Caro Quintero's massive marijuana operation. The bust is said to have cost Caro Quintero and his associates $8 billion in lost sales.
2: El Padrino, Caro Quintero, and the rest of the guys they work with are pissed. And about a year later, in 1985, they do the one thing that's supposedly off-limits, even for drug traffickers. They mess with a DEA agent.
1: American Enrique Camarena Salazar went to Mexico to fight international drug traffickers. He was kidnapped a month ago in Mexico.
3: They kidnap and torture Camarena, and then they kill him. Today, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agent was flown home to California, with honors, a hero in a flag-draped coffin. Officials in Mexico today promised arrests
1: in the kidnaps and killings soon.
2: The DEA wants revenge, so they dial up their efforts to capture El Pedrino and his partners. It's important to remember that during the time the Reagan administration is cracking down on the drug trade, around 1984 and 85, it's also accused of enabling some drug trafficking in the region, or at least turning a blind eye to it, as part of the efforts to fund the Contra rebels in Nicaragua.
1: Investigations into
3: the secret double-dealing of arms for Iran and cash for the Contras widened out today.
2: The Contras are trying to overthrow Nicaragua's government, which is backed by the Soviet Union.
3: Word was put out that President Reagan himself is among those subjected to questions.
2: This whole thing is known as the Iran-Contra scandal, because it also involves selling arms to Iran. I know, it's insane, but the point is, while Reagan is cracking down on the drug trade, he's also kind of supporting it behind the scenes. After the murder of the DEA agent Kiki Camarena, Caro Quintero, whose marijuana farm Camarena had busted, flees to Costa Rica. Just two months later, Caro Quintero is captured and extradited back to
3: Mexico, where he's then tried and convicted. A reporter asks why he's gustó.
0: <inaudible>
3: and Caro Quintero says because he likes it. Then the reporter asks if trafficking is easy money.
2: No, no,
1: no, easy, señorita.
3: Caro Quintero says nothing is easy, señorita.
2: And then four years later, El Padrino, that kingpin who Chapo was working for, he gets arrested.
3: It's 1989, and now El Padrino's empire breaks into all these smaller groups.
2: In court documents from El Chapo's case, prosecutors claim all these factions start working together to smuggle Colombian cocaine. The U.S. government calls this new group the Federation.
3: A lot of people, including me, believe it's more complicated than that these guys are definitely not all working together like in a formal business. Sure, they help each other when it's convenient, but they also compete, and they also kill each other when there are disagreements.
2: Either way, this moment when El Padrino is taken out of game, it's seen as the birth of Mexican drug trafficking as we now know it.
3: At this point, Mexico has a different cartel for each part of the country, and each control a key smuggling route to the U.S. There's the Tijuana Cartel, the Juarez Cartel. Chapo,
2: who's known for being hardworking and creative, also gets a piece of the action. And this is when he starts to really make a name for himself.
3: Prosecutors in the U.S. say El Chapo's Colombian suppliers began calling him El Rapido, the fast one, because he gets drugs across the border in record time.
2: And he comes up with all kinds of new ways to smuggle cocaine. One piece of evidence that could be used at his trial is a can of chili peppers. At one point, hundreds of these things were seized at the border, packed with more than seven tons of cocaine. Apparently, Chapo actually opened his own cannery to make these
3: things. Of course, El Chapo is also known for being ruthless. There's this video taken years later that appears to show him interrogating a member of the Zetas Cartoon. Another time,
2: federal prosecutors say Chapo kept a couple of them tied up while he ate lunch, then shot them in the head. He, quote, ordered his workers to dig a hole in the ground, light a fire inside the hole, and throw the bodies in the hole to be burned and subsequently buried. —
3: the drug smugglers tunnel unearthed. From here on the US
1: side, it ran for 500 meters or the length of six football fields under the border to the Mexican side.
3: But what really allows him to get ahead of everyone else is that he starts using tunnels under the border to smuggle huge quantities of drugs.
0: The smugglers had installed a rudimentary railway system and the tunnel also has
1: lighting and ventilation.
3: To make these tunnels, El Chapo hired professional architects and engineers They take months to build.
2: Some even have hidden entries, and to open them, you have to pull a secret lever. Each tunnel requires a team of people to dig and move heavy equipment. The New Yorker reported that Chapo's people would trick construction workers into coming to a building site, then pull a gun and tell the workers they had to stay until the job was finished. And that afterward,
3: workers would be killed
2: so they couldn't lead anyone back to the tunnel.
3: With these tunnels, El Chapo is able to move drugs faster than anyone else, which pisses off other traffickers. And by 1993, El Chapo is fighting with the Tijuana cartel.
2: Someone shoots up a nightclub where the two brothers who run the Tijuana cartel are partying. Four people are killed, but not the brothers. And they believe El Chapo is responsible for the attack.
3: And that's when the Tijuana cartel puts a prize on El Chapo's head. A few months
2: after the Tijuana cartel puts out this order to kill Chapo, he's at the airport in Guadalajara. Supposedly about to leave for vacation. One of the cars he's known to travel in is a white Mercury Grand Marquis. There are a couple different versions of what happens next. According to one, gangsters who work for the Tijuana cartel are also at the airport, and they think they've got Chapo in their sights. They open fire on a white Mercury Grand Marquis, and they leave behind a dead body. Only it's the wrong car, the wrong guy.
3: And the man they've just killed is a top official in Mexico for the Catholic Church.
0: Mexican police are still trying to figure out what happened. One theory that rival gangs of drug traffickers were shooting it out. Among those caught in the crossfire, Cardinal Juan Posadas Ocampo, the Catholic Archbishop of Guadalajara.
3: That's what I believe. These gangsters were coming for all Chapo, and they just hit the wrong guy.
0: The intended victim, now in custody in Mexico, Joaquin Guzman, a drug lord from the state of Sinaloa. Rival drug lords wanted him dead.
2: But not everyone buys that theory. Gil Gonzalez is a retired DEA agent who was working in Mexico when the Cardinal was killed.
1: The most um, obvious um, red light is the fact that the Cardinal was dressed in cassock in his full cardinal regalia to meet the secretary of state and wearing a cross in his chest.
2: He doesn't think the hitman could have mistaken the cardinal for Chapo.
1: When he was shot, he was shot some numerous times, but the, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a very accurate shooting. <laughs> it was in the chest.
2: The forensics report says that the cardinal was shot from about three feet
1: away. You're going to go in for the kill, and you're going to see the person's eyes. Bang, 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 bang. Okay? Um, it's hard for me to believe <laughs> that you, you pump, you riddle a person with bullets, and, and you still think he's Chapo when he's dressed like a cardinal.
2: The cardinal was heading to meet an emissary from Pope John Paul II. Some people, including Gill, think that he was going to tell the Vatican that officials at the highest levels of the Mexican government were in the pocket of drug traffickers, and that somebody, maybe the cartels, maybe the government wanted him silenced.
3: In any case, the killing puts a huge spotlight directly on El Chapo. Was
2: was it the cardinal that put him on the map, so to speak, that made his name known to everyone in the DEA, to everyone in Mexico?
1: It was a major event. It was like when the Beatles were at the Ed Sullivan show. That's kind of like it was with, with Chapo. It was Chapo's Uh, Welcome to the world of of fame.
3: After this, El Chapo goes on the run, and the Mexican government launches this huge manhunt. A couple of weeks later, they capture him in Guatemala and bring him back to Mexico.
2: Chapo wasn't responsible for the killing of the Cardinal. It just seems like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he gets blamed for it anyway. Well,
3: it's not like he was the only one being blamed. These two cartels were in a war, and the cardinal got killed. So the government went after the Tijuana cartel and El Chapo. But they get El Chapo first.
2: Maybe the government wanted to make Chapo a scapegoat. Or maybe he got set up by his enemies to take him out of the game. Either way, Chapo was getting too big. The government parades Chapo in front of the cameras, and it becomes the first iconic image of him. Chapo is young and clean-shaven. He's wearing a puffy jacket and a baseball cap with a flat brim. A reporter asks what he does
3: for a living, and Chapo smirks. El Chapo says he's just a farmer, that he grows corn and beans.
0: So, in the first years, I think two, three years, El Chapo Guzmán was in El Altiplano, in this maximum security prison. And he didn't have fun. I mean, he was just another guy there.
2: Annabel Hernandez is a Mexican investigative journalist who's broken a bunch of stories on El Chapo. And her book, Narcoland, makes some controversial accusations about the Mexican government's collusion with drug traffickers. Annabelle says that while Chapo's in prison, he has powerful friends on the outside who keep his business running and keep bribes flowing to government officials and that eventually, they get Chapo transferred to a new prison, Puente Grande, where he's treated very differently.
0: Well, really, Puente Grande was like a resort for El Chapo.
3: He was like the king. He bribed the entire system. I heard fishermen from Sinaloa used to bring seafood for him to have for dinner. According to
2: Annabelle, at Puente Grande, Chapo not only orders takeout, he redecorates his cell. He brings in hookers, throws parties. It goes on like this for years.
3: And then... The course of Mexican history totally changes.
0: An early morning rally at Mexico City's Independence Monument. President elect Vicente Fox and 15,000 of his supporters celebrating his stunning victory. A day many Mexicans thought they would never see. The ruling party, the PRI, toppled from power.
3: After 70 years of a single party rule, Mexico elects a president from a different party, Vicente Fox.
2: It's 2001, and with a new government in power, many of the alliances that narcos need to do business have to be renegotiated. Around the same time, Mexico's Supreme Court rules that more top drug traffickers can be extradited to the U.S., and that includes Chapo.
3: A few weeks later, he escapes. Most of the Mexican media reports that El Chapo sneaks out of prison by hiding in his laundry cart that he had help from just one guy. This dude who works at the prison, who supposedly pulls him out. And that's it.
2: But Annabelle says that's all wrong. According to her, corrupt federal officials knew exactly what was happening. And even gave Chapo a police uniform. And then let him walk out the front gate.
0: He didn't escape in the laundry car. He was just walking by the front door and uh, uh, dressed as a policeman. And he took then he took a, an helicopter that were very near to to the prison, and he ran away.
3: Personally, I think he got out in a laundry cart, but it's really hard to know.
2: When we were up in El Chapo's hometown, Latuna, we asked his sister, Bernarda, if she knew how he really escaped.
0: siempre dijo que nunca la lavandería.
3: She's saying that old Chapo always told her that he did escape in you know, a the court. And she's also saying that uh, most people talk, but they have no idea what they're talking about.
2: Like so many stories about Chapo, it's almost impossible to know what really happened. But even if Annabelle and Bernarda disagree on how Chapo escaped, they do agree on one thing that he couldn't have gotten out unless he
3: had help on the inside.
0: No ha forzado puertas, no ha matado a nadie, no le ha he hecho daño a nadie.
3: Renata says that old Chapo never force open a door, never killed a guard, or hurt anyone during the escapes. De
0: corrupción.
3: Then she tells mm-hmm. us that the government are the ones who let him go. She says no one gets out of prison unless somebody else opens the door.
2: However Chapo escapes, when he gets out, almost immediately, he's more powerful than ever. So we, we were talking about Chapo. He goes to prison. How does he come out in 2001, uh, in, after his escape, and suddenly be that level, that, that top guy?
1: It was someone who came out of prison and said, OK, now I'm going to go back and pick up where I left off and because it is rightly mine. I, it, it is my inheritance, uh, so it didn't. It didn't um, take long before he, he went back to his sources, people who knew him, and and reestablished himself, and and he did it now with more of, um, of uh, hey, they tried but they didn't succeed. Now I'll show them what I'm really capable of. To
2: do this, Chapo needs to control smuggling routes to the U.S. And the federal prosecutors leading the case against him say this is the moment when he turns his part of the federation that formed back in the late 80s into the Sinaloa cartel.
3: I don't buy that. Like I said before, El Chapo and everyone else had their own operations. What they do is sometimes share gunmen or transportation to minimize cost. But they had to pay to use each other's smuggling roads, You just don't get access for free. And this is a
2: problem because the Juarez cartel controls the border in West Texas, and they have some of the best smuggling routes. Pretty soon, there are tensions between Chapo and the leader of the Juarez cartel, Vicente Carrillo.
1: And when it got to the point where Vicente tells Chapo, your money is no good for me anymore, I don't care about the money and the tax, you're not moving drugs through our territory, that's a declaration
0: of war.
2: Next time, Chapo's war turns Juárez into one of the most dangerous cities in the world.
3: Luz says that when her kids were killed, there were soldiers everywhere on the streets, on the rooftops, but still they couldn't do anything.
2: a heads up there's another version of this podcast and it's all in spanish so for those of you who are bilingual or for your friends and family who are spanish speakers please share that version is called el chapo el jefe y su Juicio, and it's also available on spotify it's really good made by an amazing team at adonde media please check it out also for more on el chapo his trial and the drug war visit ViceNews.com.